monsters, madness, and magic. I didn't get to formally introduce myself, Tom. I'm Angelique. It's lovely uh, to meet you. <laughs> yeah, and you can call me Daniel Dan or whatever it is. <laughs> he answers to anything, and so do I, honestly. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't really have anything prepared. It's just really, really cool to, to sit down and talk to you. That's a, that's a great way to spend a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we were just talking about, um, you know, what we watched to uh, prepare for this evening. And, you know, we're both huge fans of Friday the 13th, the series. Uh-huh. And that's like, that's my number one favorite horror TV show. Mm-hmm. Um I, don't I didn't that. get to. Yeah, yeah. Really? No, I, yeah. I mean, it's like I mean, the European, uh, you know, fans. I, you know, I'll hear stuff, but yeah, very, very little with American. And there was that, you know, great book um, that. Uh, oh God, I'm blanking on her name. Elise. Uh, yeah. Curious Goods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I know it was so great that she did that. Yeah, that I, book was incredible. That I, it is rare. I guess you say it's rare. I've, there's a cult following, it seems like, of the Friday the 13th, the series, but sound like Angelique. That one, I don't know. I have two, depending on what mood I'm in. It's either Forever Night or Friday the 13th, but it's just one of those. I grew up with that TV show and just, yeah. So, I mean, just to be able to talk to somebody who actually had their hand in it, I mean, this is incredible. So <laughs> I'm taken care of for the evening, quite honestly. I can harangue you the, the entire session just about that show. <laughs> I, I mean, you want to talk about th- those those uh, episodes that I worked on? or We're going to do everything. Yes. <laughs> you, you can take us wherever you want to, and this is by default. We are flying one shy. Our uh, CEO, Justin Young, he was unable to make it this evening because I know he wanted to talk to you because he loves – the Friday the 13th films. And yeah. uh, so he was here to round that one out for us. He unfortunately couldn't make it tonight. So yeah, now that we got you, I mean, we could talk about anything you ever want, but okay. to go ahead and give everybody an idea of who we're actually talking to, because this is going to be only audio. Ladies and gentlemen here at monsters, madness and magic.com. We have Mr. Tom McLaughlin. He is a writer. He is a producer. He's actually directed, but the most important thing, at least to me and Angelique, he has been involved with Friday the 13th, the series. You would know him best. at Now, you were director and writer or director and writer for The Playhouse? Uh, writer and director for that one. Writer and director for The Playhouse. Uh, for people that need a little jogging of the memory, that was one of the creepy ones where the kids had the walk-in playhouse that did the cool stuff. It was like the uh, sort of like Little Monsters. It was like a prototype for that type of story. He was also involved in one of the most religiously evil episodes of the series, and that was the big, it wasn't the, it was the season three premiere. It was the dual episode called The Prophecies, which had Fritz Weaver playing Astaroth, Fallen Angel, and had it was basically just Jack Marshak in concert going over to France and taking care of business, and then whenever he got knocked out, it ended up being Ryan's, uh, basically his character's martyrdom, so... There's a nice little rough and tumble. And for those of you who still need a little bit further nudge to know who Mr. McLaughlin is, he was involved with Friday the 13th, Part 6. Jog my memory, which, it, because I was just mentioning to Angelique, Mr. McLaughlin, it's probably been going on a decade, maybe two, since I've seen Friday the 13th. Any film. Friday 6, was that the one where Jason was resurrected with the lightning and the cemetery spike? Yes, sir. That was it. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for that's that's the first zombie Jason. Is that um, well? Yeah, I mean, that, it, it's interesting because when I wrote that, um, I never thought the term zombie, uh, but it's become you know over the last three decades, you know, the sort of uh, okay, he was real here, and then from this point on, he was a zombie. But my you know, I mean, my reality, and and everybody has a different way of, I guess, of looking at this. You know, when I think zombie, I think, you know, George Romero, I think, you know, eating people, you know, brains, you know, shoot them in the head and it's over, all that kind of stuff. And when I wrote it, I was really going for that universal horror, gothic style and going, okay, how did we bring, you know, Frankenstein to life? We use electricity. And we used the lightning bolt. Okay. So basically, it was like reanimating him. And now he's unkillable, unstoppable. But even one point when the sheriff shoots him in the head, 
the bed just kicks back and comes forward again. It's like, whoop, that didn't work. So, you know, I, I really was, you know, going very much towards that. But I think, you know, just in the term, you know, the walking dead, you know, the, or the walking undead, it, it, I guess, can certainly fall into that zombie category for, you know. It's a term, the reason I say it, and this is a term of endearment, I have been... I've been referring it to this since Lord, since the movie came out, honestly, but this is the, the first time where you see Jason is dead. See before as a slasher, it was human. And I've always been attracted more to the supernatural stuff. So it was once Jason comes back, it's like he's dead. So now they're really there is no because it's just the same with Halloween or with, you know, Jason's mom or whatever. I'm from the as you can tell by my dulcet tone, I'm from the South. I can hit what oh, I yeah, aim sir. at and usually it only takes one shot. So if you're I, I don't human people do not bother me at all. <laughs> but when Jason <laughs> comes back, well now we've got a new tangle in the web, if you know what I mean. And so that's for anyone listening, probably maybe closer to my, but I know I'll have a couple of friends who would be interested too, who will be listening to this. Yes, this is the first appearance of Zombie Jason, and this also marks, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the first Friday film that I watched. So there's a actually, you know what? Jump me off from there. This is a good one uh, because I want to save the cream, which is Friday the Thirteenth, because I'll just bowl you over. We both will. It'll just be like a double team that uh, will hit you with that one. You mentioned it before about coming into Friday. Give us a way. How did you get started? What led you actually getting to like Friday the 13th the film? What what kind of started you in the business and held you along? Well, I was born in a humble hospital, St. John's, <laughs> uh, California, and immediately a axe was put in my hands. Now, I, you know, it's an interesting twisty, turny road, how I ended up uh, doing that movie and how, as the years have gone by, it's been the, uh, for some, you know, you're not the only one. It's sort of like the, you know, the, uh, the kind of the, the lead-in drug, you know, into the slasher franchise for so many people uh, of a, a certain generation. Mm -hmm. um, and mainly because, obviously, it was on VHS and DVD and streaming now, of course. And so, it, you know, it somehow it was it came at a time when that's when people started you know really watching those things that, that you didn't have to go to the theater for mm -hmm. so you know i i hide the job mainly because um it was gonna you know be in theaters for sure it wasn't gonna be one of those movies you're gonna make and it could sit on the shelf or you know they really didn't have the money to make it and you can as a filmmaker you go through that all the time um it took i don't know six years before i got my one dark night you know, my first script, you know, Green the mm -hmm. direct. So this was like an instant job. And I basically had the opinion that if I was going to do it, first off, I've got to put humor in it. It's got to have some sense of irreverence to the, the, the genre itself and to, um, you know, just, you know, a, a slasher um, approach. I wanted it to be skills that are sort of un unimitatable, you know, that, you know, you can't, humanly twist the head off and yank it up and, you know, punch your heart out and all those kinds of things. I thought I just wanted to give him, you know, super monstrous power. And the main thing is that, you know, you can't stop him. He's just going to keep on coming no matter what. So that, you know, that was exciting to me. And then I wanted to also, I watched all the other films in a row, Paramount in a screening room, and I went, okay, let me do many things as I can think of that haven't been done. Uh, one was, one of the big ones was having children at the camp so that it added that level of, oh my God, he's not going to kill kids, you know, and, you know, use that as a suspense aspect to it and also put in like a car chase, but not a normal car chase. She was going to drive that fucking thing backwards as she was being, you know, pursued <laughs> and an underwater fight, you know, when Tommy's trying to get him, you know, back down into the bottom of Crystal Lake. And there was just a number of things, obviously, that, you know, the uh, breaking the fourth wall and having somebody look right in the camera and say, some folks have a strange idea of entertainment, which was, you know, directed at the audience itself. And all of that stuff sort of gave it, um, you know, a different feeling than the other ones. And I was terrified when I finished it and we were going to have the first preview. I thought, you know, fans just, you know, might not buy this at all. But much to my shock, 30, what is it, 34 years now, you know, it's still like one of the fans' favorites. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
and it's the thing probably I'm most known for um, because it be, it's become kind of its own classic in the way I look at, you know, Bride of Frankenstein or Frankenstein, the Son of Frankenstein or any of those ones that you know, came after the original Frankenstein. Right. I remember it. It's there. I remember it's like the two Friday the films. There was the one there was the one with the psychic chick. And then if I remember like the one right before it, because, again, like I said, it's probably going on two decades since I've seen it. I remember the first time I saw it, I was going on the younger side. But I remember those just stuck with me because those are the first ones to really carry a cohesive narrative. Like I'm, I'm yeah. real big on that. Just it. They were they were like a continuous story. It almost takes place like what of five minutes after the first one, or like a year later. I I really like that the continuity of it. Now, were you given like whenever you go to do a phrase like, hey, you want to do a Friday the Thirteenth movie? You can do anything <laughs> you want. How was it like that? Like whenever you say you wanted to include a lot of these things, I mean, were you just given carte blanche to do that? Well, yeah. Here, I mean, here's the the reality. Um. You know, I had only seen the first Friday the 13th, you know, uh, you know, with his mom, you know, basically being the killer. Mm -hmm. And there really wasn't any Jason until the end of the movie. He popped up as his kid. Uh, right. After that, that period as a filmmaker, um, that's all, you know, you know, we want to do a movie like in the woods or in an abandoned insane asylum or something. And we got to have a killer who's face is covered up so we don't know who it is and maybe it'll be a big thing when they're revealed at the end or maybe you'll never see it or maybe it's really gross makeup or something and then we just need a number of girls to kill and, <laughs> and I, I just didn't find that horrific um, and because I'm, I'm really from that old school of gothic horror and still to this day my favorite of all the horror movies was The Exorcist because it really tapped into so many things and it had so much humanity in it with the characters so that it really got under your skin so i i had not seen those things and so when i was offered it um i said so what do you want and frank van Cooper senior said look we really fucked up on part five um we 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 ended with the, the idea that maybe tommy jarvis is going to be the next jason and our audience was pissed off that it wasn't jason that was doing all the killing it was an ambulance driver with a vendetta that's and right. It was Rory the medic or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that Tommy Jarvis might end up being Jason. So right. they kind of shut off to the series and just, you know, really kind of slam things. And it has its following. You know, there's a lot of people who love that movie. And I think it's got a lot of, you know, really great scenes in it. And just maybe a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, in conversations I've had with Quentin Tarantino, it's actually his favorite is part five. And I wow. said, I'm curious, why, Quentin? And he goes, because it's just like the real thing. It's, it's you know, sex and it's exploitive and it's, you know, that all the very things that, you know, that seem to not, for me, work. And I wanted to go in the absolute opposite direction, you know, with mine. So all that Frank Mancuso Jr. said to me is bring back Jason. Anything else you want to do is fine. And I said, nice. the humor is okay. And he goes, just don't make make fun of Jason. And I said, I'm not going to. I want to, I want him to be the monster. I want him to be unstoppable. I want us to be scared in those sequences. But I want, you know, everybody to have a kind of a sense of humor, you know, a dry sense of humor about, oh yeah, Jason's out there and, you know, making jokes of it. And then suddenly it's not funny any longer. So um, he just gave me, you know, pretty much complete freedom. Um, the only other time he really chimed in, two times he chimed in. One is, what do you think of Alice Cooper for the music? And I was like, are you kidding? I would love that. That would be great. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then after our first preview, when I couldn't hear one word of dialogue through the entire movie because the audience came in so drunk, so stoned, been standing for eight hours on sidewalks waiting to get in. And it was like a roar like you can't believe. I mean, <laughs> like a soccer, you know, soccer ball audience. It just through the whole thing. You couldn't hear anything other than when they would peek at a kill and go down again. And at the end of the screening, I came to Frank. I said, I don't have a clue how this pl movie played. He goes, are you kidding? It was incredible. Uh, he said, but we need three more kills. I said, really? And he goes, yeah, three more kills. Figure it out. So, you know, that's when I killed the caretaker and killed the, the two people out in the, in the woods there. So, and then, so we shot that extra. But other than that, everything, you know, I wanted to do, I got to do. And it was it was great. Wow. So those were done post. That's amazing. So you did yeah. those, like those three kills, you did those like after the film was shot? After, yeah. After we showed it and things. And then we went, because uh, we're, you know, here in Hollywood. 
and we went to this area called Bronson uh, Park, or Griffith Park, and uh, you know we get you know the it's funny because the the one guy who's playing Steve, the, the couple is Steve and Annette, based on you know two of my best friends, and uh, Annette is uh, Vinny Gustafaro's wife, and Vinny was the one who who played uh, you know the uh, detective. Uh, with the famous Yabang, uh, and uh, the, the, the other one was guy who was doing our background voices because we were already into like finishing up the movie, and then we just you know brought back you know Martin the caretaker to you know to kill. But you know we did that all in one night in Griffith Park, and then you know inserted it into the film. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> that's cool. See, my favorite kill from the movie is uh, the face through the RV. That oh yeah. <laughs> That's so amazing. Just, oh, that's the, my, my two favorite in the entire series are that one and uh, Jason X when he freezes the woman in the liquid nitrogen and smashes yeah. her face on the counter. Yeah, uh, but the RV one, that's just, oh. Have they know. ever asked you back to do any more with it or have there been talks about doing anything? Else? Because, I mean, you were... You were part of the the icon of Jason. You were involved in that. You were part of the play, as I like to call the playground mythos. This is the the American Ninja, the Metal Gear, the Ninja Gaiden era, Schwarzenegger versus Stallone. You yeah. know, when third and fourth and fifth grade on the playground. I mean, you were iconic. You were instrumental in that. So, I mean, have you ever been approached about coming back to it? Well, here's here's the interesting backstory on that. Yeah, as soon as the movie, you know started playing in the theaters and you know like the, the I guess it was the first night or second night Frank Bancuso Jr. him and his father attended and you know uh, Frank Sr. you know ran Paramount and, and the crowd was just wild and so you know both of them came over to me and were like just you know ecstatic about the reaction because it was really basically saying Jason is back and the series is back and it's going to you know continue which it much to everybody's amazement, you know, has. Um, and, and so Frank came to me, you know, that Monday and said, okay, would you like to do another one? You know, let's start talking <laughs> about the next. And I said, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what I would do. I Like, I put everything I could think of in that movie and <laughs> tried to set it camp and do everything. And he goes, okay, let me ask you this. Jason meets Freddy. I said, how, how, wait a minute, how can you do that? That's what new, new life Jason saw paramount he goes we're on it we're working on it you know would you be interested in that and i go well that would be a big thing because jason exists you know basically <laughs> you know, here and freddie's in a dream realm but hey you know it'd be an interesting challenge why we, not weeks <laughs> later uh, new line won't let that happen you know what else you, you have another idea and i go well the only other thing I, I could think of that would be different is you guys own cheech and chong right and he goes yeah why and i said cheech and chong beat jason I said it would be like, you know, <laughs> funny. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, that would be, a, you know, for me, a great, you know, throwback to Abbott and Costello. And he got, he laughed and he looked at me and goes, I don't know if it's the same audience. I, I think, you know, that the, the, you know, the people coming to see a Cheech and Chong movie aren't going to like the blood and guts of, of Jason. And, and, you know, the people coming to Jason aren't going to like the humor. And I said, well, you know, I think... I think we all smoke the same dope. You know, I think it would <laughs> both things. He goes, eh, I, don't, I don't know if that really, you know, works. But let me know if you come up with something else. And sort of that ended, you know, me talking about doing anything. And literally cut to last year, um, 30-something years later, I finally come up with, for me, a, a, you know, a terrific way of doing another Friday the 13th. Yet uh -huh. we have lawsuits that's going on between Sean Cunningham. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let me back up even further because now I remembered his name. So it, it, it literally wasn't until last year that I finally came up with not one idea, but a couple ideas uh -huh. that I thought, well, this is solid for a structure, and this is something we haven't seen before. And so I started writing, and I was, for me, it was like I was sitting in the theater watching the movie and going, as a Friday's fan now, what would I want to see? So mm -hmm. that was the script, you know, that I wrote. And there's been this lawsuit going on between the original writer, Victor Miller, and Sean Cunningham, who had directed and has produced basically all the other Fridays, um, over the rights. And finally, you know, it was resolved in the writer's favor, in Victor's favor, and that he has the rights to remake the original 
Friday the 13th and use the title Friday the 13th, but he can't have Jason. And Sean Cunningham has Jason, but he Ooh. can't call it Friday the 13th. <laughs> so he, I, you know, right in the middle of that period before Sean, you know, had his appeal go through, that's when I wrote the script thinking that, you know, it was going to work out. Well, it didn't. And these guys went, you know, back in the battle again. So my script, you know, is, is sitting there unable to, you know, take it any place until this is worked out. And so I've been sort of leaving little things about it, um, you know, you know, where it's taking place. You know, it's, we're going to be back at Crystal Lake, except we're going to be in the winter. So you're going to see Jason basically in snow. You know, it's going to be an all-female cast. Um, and Jason, you know, would be the only, you know, so-called male, um, and it's going to be set in 1999, 13 years after my, you know, my Friday the 13th, picking up basically where it left off and Jason is down in the bottom of Crystal Lake, except Crystal Lake is frozen over. Frozen. So, you know, how he gets out and all that is part of what, you know, the, the movie's going to, you know, be about. And I've tried to put in, you know, unique kinds of kills, some of them that are unique to being in winter, you know, some of them just, you know, tools that you haven't seen before so it's got a lot of stuff for i think the fans and i also tried to devise it so if you never saw friday the 13th it still would work as a great horror movie so you know i'm sitting there with this script um you know waiting so that, you know that's kind of where i'm at with you know anything friday i had forgotten all about the uh the the lawsuit going on and everything it yeah you say five you god it has been it feels like it's been 30 but <laughs> I yeah. just yeah. I didn't even know the specifics of it. So I mean, you were involved with the game. I saw on your IMDb that yeah. you were actually involved in the Friday Thirteenth game. So it's good that it's just nice to see that at least they just haven't dumped you off in the ditch somewhere. That you know they still call you back because, like I said, your participation in the in the mythos of Friday the Thirteenth. That's my. You talked about our like a specific generation. Uh, some people have called it like the VHS generation. I call I call it the Nintendo generation, but it's a essentially the same thing we grew up with video stores and renting a nintendo game on friday night and then going over to a friend's in my case you might go over to a friend's house and their older brother or sister will have rented friday the 13th which is you know again my case that's how i got introduced to it is sneaking in and watching it when i was a kid and wasn't supposed to and uh, yeah. you know getting terrified of that so it's, just, it's good to see you like still involved with that and what's even better is that i want to know now because from friday six you had it looks like you had some dealings with amazing stories then you would you wrote a uh, date with an angel how did you get in Friday the 13th the series okay well yeah just to you know quickly caps you know, encapsulate all that together not to um, disrespect uh, it at all please feel free no, no, to no, elaborate no, as much no, as you no, want no, of course of course no I mean just uh, because sometimes it's helpful to kind of know how one thing happened after you know in front of the other um, oh we want to yeah. know <laughs> As I said, One Dark Night was the first film that I wrote and directed that was like a kind of a gothic horror movie. And that, you know, seeing that movie is how I got hired to do Friday the 13th because Frank liked the style of that and thought I could add something to the series. Um, but I had already written Date with an Angel and I was trying to get that made. And it was really hard because there was no splash there was no E.T., there was no, you know, Mannequin, there were any of these movies where you took, you know, something that was not human and, you know, made it into either a love interest or a charming boy and his dog story, as E.T. kind of was. And so it was like, you know, the doors were closed on that. But as soon as I finished Friday and um, Frank Mancuso Sr. was talking with Dino Laurentiis, you know, Dino wanted to make a movie, hopefully a horror movie with me. And I said, no, I want to make this romantic comedy date with an angel so that became you know my next movie and you know that just actually came out um last week on uh, blu-ray you know nice. my commentary and all that Sweet. stuff you know on uh uh, Lord, uh, Ke uh kino lorber uh film so it's uh, oh, cool. you know nice to finally have that you know out on blu-ray yeah congrats but then you know then after that you know said you know i got a stephen king movie i'd love you to do that which was sometimes they come back you know, so, so that's that the happened. other one. So somewhere in the middle of all that, that Frank came to me and he said, I, I've got this series that I want to do in Canada, you know, which is, you know, called Friday's Curse. But we think we're going to call it Friday the 13th, but it's not going to have Jason in it. And I go, well, that could be hard. And he goes, well, <laughs> you know, it, 
we need the Friday the 13th to sell it, but Friday's curse is the way it's going to be known in Canada and most of the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, we're going to use basically, you know, tried and true horror directors to come in and make little mini features each week, which is sort of what the marching orders were. And, you know, that's probably why these shows were as good as they were, because they basically had a director there that really wanted to make a cool little movie out of each one of those. So um, the first script that I was given was called Master of Disguise. And the it's makeup kit. where you know, mm-hmm. the guy had a, a, a makeup case that yep. John, belonged yep. to John Wilkes Booth. And he would have to kill and then put his makeup sponge and sop up the blood, put the makeup on, and now he looked like Timothy Dalton from, you know, James Bond. Um, you know, good-looking guy, you know, but underneath it all was this monstrous, you know, looking guy. So that was, you know, the first one that I did. And then Frank asked me, you know, to be story editor on the show down here in the uh, in Hollywood. And then uh, Jim Hendrick was doing it uh, in Canada. And then, you know, I, he said, why don't you write one? And I had just had um, my first child, my son, and I was very much about, you know, you know uh, kid abuse. And kids, you know, basically can be both scary and also, you know, have abusive parents and stuff. So I kind of took that theme and said, what if they have a house that looks like the psycho house, but it's a playhouse, and anytime they go into it, they bring another kid in, and basically sacrifice that kid into the house, and then they can do anything they want. They can fly, they can be princes, they can make anything appear that they want, and so it really kind of empowers the child. So I loved that theme. I loved, you know, the the kids that I got to work with. They were just terrific, you know, so that became, you know, the the next one. And then, you know, he asked me, okay, we've got a problem. Uh, We're losing, you know, Ryan. Uh, he, you know, he wants to leave the series. He wants to go and do features and other things, you know, I was going to ask about that. You know, we, we don't think it's a, you know, a good idea, but this is what he wants to do. So here's what I want you to come up with. Find a way to basically kill Ryan, but he's not really dead because if he changes his mind and wants to come back, we can bring him back. I'm going, holy shit. Okay. And (laughs) then, you know, having been raised Catholic which is another reason why The Exorcist meant a lot. Um, I thought about all these, you know, things about the Virgin Mary appearing and the miracles and all that stuff. And I thought, how can I combine sort of an exorcist theme along with that and, and do something to Ryan? And then I thought, well, what, you know, what if he had this traumatic event that happened, you know, when he was a child? And that basically was like the, you know, the big game changer in his life. Um, and it was, you know, feeling responsible for the death of his of his brother. And that's, you know, when he gets involved with all this Astaroth, you know, fallen angel stuff and things, that's what happens to him. He gets sent back to being a child. So he has to, you know, relive his life all over again. So if they want to do something with that, grow him up, you know, <laughs> get him back, you know, it was a way of not killing him and yet you know, taking him out of the series. So, you know, it was an interesting bunch of problems I had to solve. You know, yeah, I'll give it that because I did. I just watched that one today just to kind of refresh myself on it because we are we are actually, to just spill it, we will be doing a retrospective podcast on the Friday the 13th. So uh, oh, if you don't mind, we will keep your info and we will have you back on there when we hit your episodes. But Absolutely. I was going to ask you about that, like where Ryan, you know, it's like, well, why didn't you just kill him? <laughs> that was kind of just going to be my, you know, it seems like we went a you roundabout way. I know you can't kill my Ryan. I know, but just you know, in a I'm thinking from a writer's standpoint, it's like, well, we need to get rid of Ryan. Well, I'll just chuck him off of a building. But no, it's like, no, we're gonna have him do all of this and turn him into a kid again. I was just that was cool to hear like so he actually wanted to leave and I'm watching it again. And I I I love still we're still friends to this day. Um, and I mean, he was doing what he felt was right for his career. He had done right. two scenes and he, you know, he was a really good actor and, you know, he was getting offers that he couldn't take because of the series. So, you know, he basically didn't want to resign, you know, right. his, his contract. So the other thing my, the show that I did had to do is introduce Johnny, you know, mm-hmm. um, look at this face cause this is going to be the new Ryan. Um, and somehow it, it didn't have the same, I mean, he did a great job, you know, with the kind of character he was playing but it, it wasn't like 
the Ryan character and, and that chemistry that uh, he had, uh, you know, with, with the other two. It, it, you know, there's just something that just kind of clicked with all three of them. It, it was. There was some, I don't know, I like, as a kid, you know, Johnny was cool. It just, yeah. He was the cool guy. It was, there was a couple of, it wasn't until his, um, the invisible jacket, when he gets that one in the prison, that's whenever, as far as me, like when I started to like Johnny. But uh, I couldn't remember when Johnny first, he's introduced in the pool cue episode. So that was like right near the one where you did with the prophecies, wasn't it? Wasn't the pool cue episode somewhere right around there, like when he first came in? You know, that's if, um, you would know better than I if that's where they actually introduced him. So that, that you know, I, I, I didn't know that because I was sort of under the assumption that, you know, they were casting and they found this guy and said, okay, let's put him in here. But now that I, I was out of my brain, um, I think they did say that, you know, that's like, I think there's something, you know, uh, yeah, there was something that they did say that there was a connection with him, you know, somehow you know, to her character. So that's what I was going to ask is like, did you have to, did they have like a series Bible that you had to look at whenever you were writing it? I mean, usually they'll have like, you can't kill a major character unless we tell you to kind of like the star Wars stuff. But did they have like a big, a manifest, if you will, like Jack would always refer to, did you have a, Oh yes, over here in the manifest, let's see what item we haven't done. Or was it like Friday, the film where you just give it, you know, write us a story and kill some people with it. Well, we did, we did have a kind of a Bible that would go to writers so that they could sort of get the backstory, get, you know, what the, you know, relationships are with the three leads. But each week, you know, as you know, there would be a new first object and new people that you would meet. Basically, it was about directors kind of adding whatever style that they wanted, you know, to these, these different episodes. So, uh, the, you know, the look of the show, uh, Rodney, who was the VP, you know, he was very much in charge of keeping that same tone and that look through the entire series of Bobby Charters. And, you know, he went on to do uh, Mick Garris's, uh, uh Sleepwalkers um, mm-hmm. style. Um, you know, he basically would tell people, eh, you know, they like to have a close-up here or they like to do this or that. So he would keep, you know, the, most everybody on, on track of what you know, the show needs to look like, which is the case with most series. And the characters, you know, the lead characters, they... At a certain point, you know, they know their characters very well, mm-hmm. and you just have to stand back and, you know, let them do it the way, you know, they know the character would do it. So, you know, for the writers, they just really had to come up with something inventive, you know, with the cursed object. Some is, it, kind of a, is it easier to do film or TV? Because, I mean, you've done it all, so which is yeah. easier? Well, TV's a lot faster, you know, you don't have as much time to do things, uh, very much about trying to keep a 12-hour day, that's it. Sometimes with movies, you need 18 hours. But when I did the first season, you know, of the shows in uh, Canada, we were doing 18-hour days. We were beating the shit up out of, uh, shit out of these poor Canadian, you know, crew members because every director would come in fresh, you know, ready to go, and these guys had just finished an 18-hour day, and then I had to start another one again. So I give them a lot of kudos for, you know, hanging in and making those, you know, those, those things work. Um, but, yeah, everybody was trying to really push the edge of the envelope and make it feel as you know, feature-like and as mm-hmm. special as really were looking and different from other shows. Um, but in your standard series, yeah, it's very much like 12-hour days. We're going to pick up those shots in some other episode or whatever. Um, so it, it is a much faster thing. All of us who have done features, of course, much prefer, you know, the feature pace. And, you know, have some time. Also, you know, you're right back. You know, another just quick, you know, side note here. You know, because of the lawsuit, Friday the 13th, you know, has now been picked up by all these, you know, very cool Friday the 13th fan-funded you know, movies, and um, they're basically doing the credit for like thousand dollars, you know, all in, and they you know, work their asses off. That's good. I like that, and I can I like the fact that, you know, a lot of people like Nintendo is known for zealously attacking anyone that, give, you know, pays homage to their properties and stuff, but it's nice to see that at least you are allowing the fans to, you know, do a little bit with you know, with the properties and stuff. It just, it, it's heartwarming. I know that sounds a little sappy, but, you know, the kid and me, all, all of us wanted to make a Friday the 13th film. You know, we always wanted to go and kill people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the interesting 
be, they're not making any money themselves. Money that come in are to pay for, you know, the, um, you know, the cameras or whatever mm -hmm. the, the actors are um, money left over that the fans put in, like in the case of Benjamin Children's Hospital. Open season. Yeah, really. That's cool. I like the the organic way of building that, though. It's kind of like Slenderman, you know, where, uh, what was the Channel Zero Nick Antosca show with the, you know, yeah. basically making it like an anthology series, but since they were using Creepypasta, I remember reading about it and hearing him talk about, you know, copyrights kind of, uh, really, how do you define who owns what? And so it's one of those legal gray areas that you can just kind of tread. And the fact that Friday the 13th is now in that legal gray area, just go with it. Hell, just make a cool yeah. movie. If, if anything, it's a good calling card and a nice commercial for what you can do to yeah. you know, open the doorway to get somewhere else. It's sort of like being a musician. That's what I tell people. Like, you know, if I make music now, basically it's just a commercial for whatever else I happen to do. Yeah. But, it's still, but it's cool to be able well, to use I, Freddy's mask <laughs> or Jason's mask. I remember when I was asked to uh, work on Friday the game. Uh, yeah, how how are you getting away with this? And he goes, I don't know. You know, Paramount's not. You know, the alumni that are willing. So I said, Well, what do you want from me? And he goes, Well, we would like basically Jason. You know, backstory about Jason's mother. That would be part of these tapes that you would find along the way. So it gave me an opportunity to basically write a radio play. You know, with with voices oh, and that's what I do. That's, yeah. Oh my God, you do that? Like, did you did you enjoy that? Oh yeah, it was great fun. You know, and I, oh. and I basically got to tell who I believe Jason's father really is because you know it kind of since I started that thing, it sort of turned into this guy Elias, who was this muscle bound guy that would beat her up and beat up Jason and stuff. And basically, what I'm saying is, no, that was her husband. But that's not Jason's father. And, you know, what you hear in the game is, you know, who is his father? Oh, God, that is so like you enjoy doing the radio play because this is my jam. I do every year. I do a, a Halloween like an audio drama movie. I don't nobody knows what to call it. But if I say a radio play, people are going to think it's like the shadow, which is fine. But yeah. I, it's yeah. more like, you know, theater of the mind and stuff. How did you enjoy that? It was great. It was great writing you know, sounds, you know, basically, you know, you know, the, the, you know, a window's open, we hear crickets, you know, outside, we hear the buzz of a fan. I love know, it. Across the room, you know, the, the, the microphone of the recorder, you know, it's one of those, you know, tinny little things. Um, mm -hmm. And you hear the, the tape going around. I mean, I had so many details, you know, did they do all those? No, because I wasn't there to direct it. <laughs> but you know some of it and as i said the woman who did betsy palmer's voice was so great i mean she really sounded like her and um you know i i would have directed it a little differently but it still you know was a, a cool thing to be a part of and uh, and you know for a lot of fans it was a you know great little you know easter egg series of right. things to find right that oh that is cool that's just that's so cool <laughs> now i but see here, here's Here's my theory, and I may uh -huh. be wrong, but, but um, while that game was first going and they were having so many problems trying to get it on, get it up and running and all the rest of that, mm. nobody was paying much attention to it. Mm. Suddenly, it took off and became this huge thing, i.e., it was making money, and these guys were making money. And I think at that point, that's when Paramount stepped in and said, hold it, stop. You don't have the rights. You cannot do this any longer, and that just killed it. I think, the, you know, like with the case of these guys doing all the fan films, there, there's no money to be taken. And I, right. I don't think, you know, when whoever gets the rights is going to go after and sue these people. They think they'll just basically cease and desist. You know, no more. You can't have that. But it's still, those films will be out there and, you know, the fans will be happy and that'll be that. But this business is so run on, you know, waiting till the thing starts to become successful. Then you'll start out because, you know, there's no no point trying to get blood out of a stone. So <laughs> and then even then, some people just taunt it. Be like, well, I don't have anything. Screw it. I'll do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your uh, your involvement with the She-Wolf of London? So is that like you're the creator of that TV series? What was that like? Well, that was one of those things where Mick Garris and I were working together on a couple of things. One of them was uh, The Amazing Stories. Uh, Mick was working on that, and he invited me in to co-write uh, this piece called uh, Go to the Head of the Class, 
that Robert Zemeckis directed, and uh, it just came out, you know, amazing. I mean, it was just so great. Christopher Lloyd was this, you know, headless teacher, and, you know, if you ever get a chance to see it, it, it really, Zemeckis did a great job. And then this guy uh, at Universal contacted Nick and said, uh, you know, would you and Tommy be interested in uh, taking old Universal titles, titles that we own, and making a TV series around them? So we looked at all the titles they had, and the one we both responded to was American Werewolf in London. And we thought, God, that would be a great series. And um, so, you know, we started, you know, going down that route and talking to John Landis about, you know, is he cool with this and stuff. Then we find out that Paramount, I mean, Universal didn't own it exclusively. Uh, Polydor, Polydor, Polygram, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, co-owned it. So we couldn't do that. So we went back to look into the list of, you know, the library song, uh, song library uh, films, and She Wolf of London was there, or, you know, and I thought, okay, let's, you know, Let's go with that one. And then I also grabbed another title. It came from outer space. Turned into they came from outer space. So Mick and I were, you know, responsible for those. And the, you know, the whole idea of the she wolf thing is that she, in the same way that uh, uh, David Naughton set the actor in American Werewolf, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gets bit out in the moors. She does. She goes to this supernatural, you know, expert and a professor trying to find the cure, and every week, like, you know, X-Files, they end up going into some mythology that lots of times has nothing to do with, you know, werewolf. It has to do with, you know, bog monsters or, you know, legendary things from, from England that we had not heard about. So that kind of was like the premise that, that, you know, we went with, and we had an order to do 20 episodes of each of these series, you know, find writers, find directors, you know, and then you know, Mick and I sort of, you know, stepped back and, you know, became, you know, their show, you know, to run. Um, so, and then at some point they, they brought She-Wolf she over here and it, I can't remember what they called it. Uh, something Cursed? I don't know. They, 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 to me, they, they just completely lost what was so cool about it being in England. Um, but, you know, it has a huge fan base, you know. Yeah, I need to visit this one. I haven't seen, I've probably only seen one or two. I could barely even remember it in my, I know the name. And I might, if I saw, you know, whatever the right episode, I might be like, oh, that's what it is. I need to revisit that though, because werewolf flicks and especially werewolf TV series are sorely lacking in the genre. I mean, we just now found out about that werewolf TV shows getting a a release finally you know people are kind of tired i I know it's gonna sound funny Uh oh look out but you know people are kind of tired of using that same vhs rip off of the pirate bay why not just (laughs) give us a dvd people will pay for it you know (laughs) what about the uh what about your she wolf of london is that available anywhere can anybody pick it up yeah 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 did you guys see the wolf did you guys see the wolf man she will the the nicia del toro one or the wolf yeah yeah, there you are. All right, which one? Uh, yeah, She-Wolf uh, is available on, a, like, a box set, uh, as is, you know, they came from outer space, so it's available, you know, Amazon and whatever. And yeah, Dark Shadows is, I love Dark Shadows, especially the little revival they did in the in the 90s. Uh, that's who I was named yeah. after, actually, was Angelique, so <laughs> I have a special, special oh, cool. kinship. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, uh, what have you got coming up? Are you working on anything, like, next week, next month, next year? Uh, well, you know, of course, you know, the quarantine has been a big, uh, you know, life changer for everybody in this world, um, which is just, you know, obviously cuts all of us off, you know, at the at the knees of things that you planned on doing. But, you know, it certainly forced me to sit down and start, you know, writing things. So, uh there's a series called Black Veil uh, that the creator Blair Witch and the creator of uh, Final Destination are involved with. And they asked me to be part of this too, which is an anthology uh, show that is you know, going to be either a half hour or an hour each episode. So I just wrote you know, a script for that. And we, of course, we have to wait for the pandemic to go away so that you know, we can shoot this. Um, but uh, Ian Merrick, who was, did the Blair Witch, He's mm-hmm. already, you know, filled his. So, you know, we, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It's just gonna happen, you know, 
<laughs> whenever this all this stuff blows past. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, we that's had the him thing he on, was talking about. Yeah, we had him on a cast a week or so ago, and he had told us about this show. So you, wow, he already filmed his. He failed to mention that. <laughs> yeah. So you're involved in that. That is great. Yeah. So you know, really looking forward to that because it's you know it's Southern Gothic. Yes, uh, sir. Kind of the theme thing. So you know, I've you know having shot a lot of films in New Orleans and Charlotte and uh, just you know all around in the South. I you know there's such history and such you know great haunted stories you know there, and I had a great you know ghost you know story that happened to me you know when I was down there. So. You know, I know that, Ooh. you know, particularly New Orleans, just ripe with all kinds of supernatural activity. Uh, so it, it should be really a fun show to be, you know, part of. Um, and then I've, I've written, uh, I'm about halfway through at this point, a, 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 you know, a totally original horror um, piece that's got a little of my Friday kind of satirical aspect to it, but not not overtly uh that's called uh, dawn of the dogs and um, you can take with that title whatever you want from it you know uh, it, it will be something that sort of resembles the title and then it'll also be you know what i'm trying to do with a kind of a twist on that um but it's really fun to kind of create a, you know kind of a, a genre that has been there for a while but not as popular as some of the other ones so i can kind of you know add some fresh you know, touches to it. So that's, you know, pretty much what I'm working on now. I'm, I also teach filmmaking at Chapman University, Dodge College. So I have all these, you know, wonderful young up and coming filmmakers, which is, you know, so exciting to, you know, spark their imaginations and watch them come up with stuff that it's like, I wouldn't have thought of that. That is so cool. Because I, I love seeing, you know, the next generation coming up with stuff and the influences that, you know, they draw on you know, as opposed to the ones that, you know, we drew on. Right. Um, so, you know, you know, that that's going on as well. And then I have my band, the Sloss, and uh, we are doing a new music video called Want a New Life uh, that kind of represents the times right now. And um, that's being cut together and we'll have that out hopefully within the next month. And uh, we have, you know, we did the music for, um, uh, the Amityville Murders. We have like a couple songs in there, and Deborah Voorhees from uh, the the Friday uh, Five, I believe it was that she did. And she's directed a thing uh, called uh, Fanboy Thirteen, and she's got one of our songs in there. And oh. so we, you know, there's been a number of you know horror fan based horror movies that are you know using the Sloss music. So it's given me a chance to kind of still be in the genre but you know from a rock and roll perspective what do you play i'm the lead singer and harmonica player nice <laughs> well so look I, you, I you you're uh, oh, i'm sorry go ahead uh, yeah you, you yeah go on uh, go on youtube and just put in the sloss the uh, band because obviously we're not the cute little furry things with you know three toes uh but if or a goonies cover band our music videos and uh um, you know, some of our live performances and stuff. And it's the whole other side of Tom McLaughlin. That's great. Well, I was going to say, since you're writing Southern Gothic, I mean, you that's our bread and butter. Angelique lives in Serpentine. She's about an hour away from any major city in, a, in Georgia. I live five minutes from Gate 1 of the Augusta National. I live right across the river in South Carolina. So I'm about wow. well, five minutes from Augusta, I'm an hour and a half from Savannah, an hour from Charleston and stuff. So... Yeah, that, that whole Southern Gothic thing, that I mean, that's our jam. I mean, if you ever have to do any research coming down here or whatnot, please let us know. We'd love to go and hang around or we go and look go and look up some of the haunted stuff around here if you need some inspiration. That's great. That's wonderful to, to know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've made so many movies down there. I have such an affinity for the South and the people and, the, you know, the, the, you know, the food and just, you know, it's just great. But... My favorite thing is, of course, you know, you talk about, is this place haunted? Oh, yeah. You know, we've had, you know, and they're absolutely serious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
<laughs> you can tell how serious because a lot of times it won't even be anything. It's like, let me tell you like that, you know. <laughs> the slots on YouTube, the slots band. Y'all have a band camp? Do y'all do y'all have a band camp? Where can I send somebody to pick up some some of your stuff since we can't make movies? Believe it or not, some of us musicians are actually making some money during this quarantine. So where can I send people if they wanted to buy some of your shit for your band? www.thesloss.org. That's our website, thesloss.org. Um, you know, it's got, you know, pretty much everything. You know, the, the photos, of how you get the albums, the new releases, all that stuff is on there. Where could people go if they wanted to watch your stuff? I mean, just, of course, they could find Friday. If you want Friday the 13th, either the film or the TV series, go to Amazon. But is there anywhere else you'd want to send people to look you up or look up what you do or anything? Um, pretty much YouTube is, is the place to go. There's, uh, you know, if you, if you just put in the sloss and add the word band, you know, it'll bring up, you know, five, six, seven things. And then if you just keep kind of scrolling through, you know, you'll find more and more stuff. It's on, you know, because we, we've been doing this now nine years. So, you know, we've accumulated quite a bit of stuff. That's, that's great. Well, look, Mr. McLaughlin, I apologize again. Whatever our connection is, is horrible. So I'm not going to sit here and just waste any more of your time just on, hold on, can you hear me now? Kind of thing. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I get, <laughs> I want to make sure I can get where, you know, to send people to look you up. Can we get back in touch with you again? Now, look, if you ever get anything rolling and you want to scoop it with us, you want to release it, you let us know. Can we get okay. back in touch with you whenever we go, when we jump into our Friday the 13th podcast? Or maybe just to say, hey, how you doing? Would you care if we yeah, looked you back ab up? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm here for you guys. Uh, on behalf of me and Angelique, I mean, yeah. of course, the fact that you were involved in among our favorite TV shows of all time, just thank you so much. Just even be able to hear about just behind the scenes of the stuff. That This is incredible. So the slots, Friday the 13th, either the film or the TV series. He's been Tom McLaughlin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Mr. McLaughlin, for your time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.